It's a great joy to open God's Word with you today. Welcome. If you're new with us today, my name is David Cassidy, and I'm the lead pastor here at Spanish River Church. Point of personal privilege just here at the outset. I wanted to say uh, thank you for your prayers uh, this past week. Um, I can report to you this morning that the house did sell and will close on May 27th. So we are very, very thankful for your prayers, your continued prayers. Um, so as we uh, move towards closing, and then our youngest daughter graduates from high school May 28th, and uh, then sometime in the first week of June or so, we anticipate moving vans being in the driveway there in Tennessee, and then very soon, we'll be down here uh, full-time sweating with the rest of you uh, as, we, uh, as we carry on with, with all of this. I wanted to share a, a bit of news with you this morning about our student ministries for, you know, this is just a great work, and, and a whole bunch of that crew are going to Puerto Rico this summer on a mission trip, and they're going to be helping with rebuilding important, uh, important structures and housing and serving, and there's something that happens in the heart of a young person when they're given the opportunity to go with a team and to serve. And so what happens is those kids who are going along with the adults uh, that are, that are uh, shepherding them and helping them in that work, they're raising the funds to get that done. And so that's, uh, that's happening this summer. We have the opportunity to share with them in that. Those young people raise a third of that. Others help them personally, could be family and friends and so on, and then the church pitches in a third. We've got a $5,000 need to help that team get to Puerto Rico and do their mission work this summer. Now, that's not $5,000 per person. That's, that's it. That's the whole thing. I mean, we could just get that taken care of this morning, couldn't we? And so you can do that by just going to SpanishRiver.com and then hitting the Give uh, button there. And coming down, you'll see a place where you can contribute to student ministries. And I would encourage each and every one of us to give a gift to student ministries because I believe when the Lord lays hold of a, a teenager, takes hold of their heart, introduces them to service, I'm telling you, God can just do amazing things through, through their lives and what he's doing there. So I encourage you to join in that. Now, I want to ask you to turn with me this morning to Matthew chapter 13. A few weeks ago, we celebrated Easter together. And you'll remember that we mentioned that in the 40-day period between Easter, Jesus' resurrection, and Jesus' ascension, the Bible tells us that he took that 40-day time and he taught his disciples concerning the kingdom. And so as we go through Matthew's gospel together, we've been doing that since, since just before Christmas, as Advent began, looking at Christ revealed to us as our king of hope. This is a great opportunity for us in that intervening period to do the same, to look at Jesus' specific teaching about the kingdom. We began with a parable that Jesus taught about a sower. A man went out to sow, and he said the seed was the word of God that goes down into our hearts. And that's why we have to watch over our hearts with all diligence, because as the writer of Proverbs says, out of our hearts come the issues of life. So God sows the seed of the gospel into our hearts. We are born anew by the incorruptible seed of the gospel, Peter tells us. But then Jesus tells another sower parable, and Al handled that for us last week so powerfully and beautifully, that the seed in that parable is people that are sown by the Lord into the world. You and I 
are placed in the world strategically by the Lord, and we grow up in a world that is filled with both good and evil, and in the end, God brings all of those things to judgment. We pick up today with three parables that Jesus tells in Matthew 13, and we're going to read together a few verses starting in verse 44. And we're going to read through 50. So if you've got a Bible, please follow along. You can follow along on the screen or your app or a printed version. So hear God's word. The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and covered up. And then in his joy, he goes and he sells all that he has and buys that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls, who on finding one pearl of great value, went out and sold all that he had and bought it. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a net that was thrown into the sea and gathered fish of every kind. And when it was full, Men drew it ashore and sat down and sorted the good into containers, but threw away the bad. And so it will be at the end of the age. The angels will come out and separate the evil from the righteous, throw them into the fiery furnace. In that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Jesus then um, says to his disciples in the next verse, do you understand these things? And they said, oh, yes. (laughs) That was a a very confident reply. I'd like us to be able to say yes when we have the Holy Spirit as our teacher put these words into our hearts. So let's pray that that's what happens for us today, shall we? Let's pray. Lord, we don't understand unless you send the Holy Spirit who inspired Matthew to write these words to our hearts, to inscribe them there and renew our minds. So please do that for us, we pray together. In Jesus' name, amen. So Jesus tells these three parables, one about a finder, person walking through a field and not looking for anything, but discovering an incredible treasure. He tells a second parable about a person who is looking, about a seeker, a searcher, a merchant, a man on a business trip who is looking for a particular kind of treasure, and he finds it. And then he tells a a story about fishermen who gather everything in and then have to sort out what happens, and he talks about that being being the end of the age. So we want to talk about this message today of finders and seekers and fishers. In the first parable, a man is simply walking as he would of any day through a field, And suddenly, his eye catches the glint of something reflecting in that Middle Eastern sun there in the soil, and it stops, and he looks, and he suddenly realizes that he has come across an incredible find, a great treasure. He never expected that. He'd walked through that field many times. There's nothing about that field that's particularly attractive. There's nothing about it that he wanted. It was just where he walked. He was probably on his way home after a hard day at work and maybe mumbling to himself about how he was going to be able to pay the bills next week. And then all of a sudden, 
as uh, he looked, here comes this treasure emerging from the ground. How did that happen? Well, in the ancient Near Eastern world, there were no banks. There were no safety deposit boxes. If somebody did have significant treasure, and you would remember these did not exist in terms of financial instruments. These would have been currencies that were based in actual gemstones or metals, gold and silver and so on. They would have, because of invading forces or marauding bands, the only place people could really go for safekeeping for their their treasures was to bury them in the ground. And that frequently happened. And then, because of these invading armies, they would often flee before them, sometimes never to return. And as you know, in Israel's history, They'd been invaded many times. There'd been plenty of people who had buried riches in the ground, hoping to come back later, and they never got back. And then nature, doing what nature does, those treasures, which are buried deep in the ground, begin to work their way up to the surface. And there he is walking through that field, and he's got the winning lottery ticket. There is the treasure. He quickly buries it. And he goes and he sells everything he has in order to obtain not just the treasure, but what? The entire field. You've got to bear that in mind. He's going to have to buy the whole field. In uh, 1989, an as yet unknown, unnamed man went into an antique shop in Adamstown, Pennsylvania, And he bought a really ugly picture. And he bought it because it was old. And while he didn't like the picture, he liked the frame it was in. He thought he could put that to good use. And um, so he handed over four bucks for this ugly picture in this old frame. And he took it home. And as he began to work with it, he was holding on to it. It just crumbled in his hands. Frame kind of fell apart. And then he noticed on the back was a folded up document, perfectly folded up document, very old. And as he opened it up, he discovered one of only 20 original copies of the Declaration of Independence, which isn't a bad day at the office. He uh, took that to, of course, a a dealer, and he sold that for $2.4 million dollars. Not a bad return on four bucks. But of course, the difference for that guy and this guy in the text is all he had to do was cash in. This fellow had to buy the field. And in order to do that, he had to sell everything that he had. So Jesus is telling us that there's something as we are walking along that we see, and it has supreme value, it has A value that is so great, it tells us that it's worth everything else in our lives. The kingdom is more valuable than everything else in our lives. Now, I've sometimes heard people that were going to be ordained for ministry And when that happens, they stand before a committee, and one of the things they do is they share their personal experience, how they met Christ. And sometimes I've, I've, at least a couple occasions, I've heard some guys stand up there and say, well, um, I grew up in church, and they tell me the church they grew up in, and um, uh, 
you know, and I, I, I was there, and, but, but when I went to college, that's when I heard somebody share the gospel. That's the first time I ever heard the gospel, and, uh, and I believed on the Lord, and then I became a true Christian. And you go, well, I'm glad you've become a true Christian and not just a churchgoer, but I know the church you grew up in, and they were preaching the gospel. They were preaching the gospel. You just weren't listening. You were, you were, I don't know what you were doing. You were on your phone. You were texting whatever it was you were doing all those years, but you weren't paying attention. Here's the truth. There's a lot of people who walk through the church. They walk through the field. And they're unimpressed by the field. You know, fields aren't impressive. I grew up in central Indiana. I grew up next to a soybean field. There's nothing particularly impressive about it. Nobody driving through Indiana has ever pulled their car over to the side of the road and gone, look at that field. That's amazing. Look at that field. That's not what happens. People just keep driving until they hit Chicago, right? Just keep going. It's just flat. It's just beans. It's just dirt. Now, this man stopped. He'd walk through that field all the time. There are plenty of people who suddenly, after being around the field all their lives, suddenly somebody says something. And their heart is stirred. Their heart is opened up. And suddenly, Jesus becomes visible and believable and beautiful and valuable. And this Jesus, who before that day had been just some kind of dust-covered person in history, somebody that mom talked about to them and grandmother prayed for them about, because that's what grandmothers and mothers do. They did that for Timothy, too. And so all of that praying that's going on and the Sunday school teacher that shared with them and the pastor that preached the messages and the dad who took them to all those classes and all those things that were in there, those were seeds that were going in, but their heart really wasn't open to it. And then suddenly something happens and they see and they go, wow, that's what, that, look at that. I've had that happen. I had a guy I'd been working with for years and he finally, the Holy Spirit opened up his heart and he believed and it was, he was just electric with, with love and with grace and he was so excited about the scriptures, which until that day, he'd felt like he was reading somebody else's emails. You know, it just didn't mean anything to him. He said, what is this? But, but then after, after he saw the treasure of the kingdom, the beauty of the king of Jesus Christ, I remember he came in about two weeks later into my office. He said, I got to see you. I got to see you. I go, okay, what? His name was Frank. And Frank said, have you seen this? John 3.16. Have you seen this? John 3.16. I said, what's it say? What's it say? Tell me. For God so loved the world that he gave his son that whoever, whoever, me, me, he was just overwhelmed. He said, have you ever seen that? I, just, I said, yeah, it's, it's good, isn't it? It's really good. And he goes, I've never seen it before. I said, you saw it every Sunday behind every goalpost of every game you ever watched. Well, I just never saw, did you ever preach on this? I go, oh my gosh, I just retire right now. He saw it. He saw it. He wasn't looking. He found it. I had a 1972 Camaro. That was my very first car. Oh, yeah. It was sweet. It was kind of jacked up in the back, had some big racing tires on the back. It was a hypocrite of a car because it only had a six-banger in it. It, would, it, would, it was like a lawnmower engine. You, you needed a pull starter on it, really, to be honest with you. I was lucky to get it over 50 miles an hour because my dad knew I wanted to look impressive, but really, he didn't trust me with power. <laughs> so 
I had this thing. But the most cool thing about my car was I had a sticker on the back. I had a sticker on the back from Campus Crusade for Christ. It was a campaign they were running back then that said, I found it. I found it. But you know something, friends? (laughs) Don't you realize this morning that we find when we're not looking? And if that occurs, it's because somebody showed us something. That if you love the Lord this morning, it's because he, what? First, loved us. And you hear all these things all these years, and then suddenly your heart is opened up. What happens when that occurs? He sold everything that he had. Paul talks about that experience in Philippians chapter 3. Paul was a person with an extraordinary religious and professional pedigree. He came from one of the finest families. He was a Roman citizen. He was a top-notch theologian. He had the equivalent of two PhDs. By the time he was 21 years of age, he sat at the feet of the finest teachers. He was a person that every mom, every dad would have said, that's my boy. He had everything going for him, the best universities, the highest religious pedigree, absolutely spotless character, the kind of person you would say, I am proud of my kid. And Paul then goes through all of that pedigree, all of that background, and listen to what he says. Whatever things were gained to me, after talking about all that pedigree, all of his background, I count as loss for the sake of Christ. All of my university education, all of my professional achievements, all of my, all of my righteousness, all of my behavior and attitudes that everyone else would say, oh, you're good. Paul says, compared to Jesus, you see, here's what happens. People think, people think there's people they meet and they go, well, that guy, he really needs Jesus because he's a mess. And then we meet people who kind of look like they're together and we go, would you like to join the church? As if they don't need a savior because they're cool. I sometimes hear people say to me, that guy would make a good Christian. (laughs) What? (laughs) What are you talking about? Paul was good. And listen to what he said. I count it, he said, rubbish in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. Philippians chapter 3. I count it as rubbish. That's what the ESV says. The NAS, I, say, I think it politely translates it as dung. Rubbish and dung. Okay, the English translators have been very polite with us here. I just want you to know that. There's a Greek word that Paul uses here. I'm going to teach you a Greek word this morning. Normally I wouldn't do that, but I'm going to do it. Because you should know this Greek word. It's the Greek word skubalon. What does that mean? Skubalon. Well, I will just tell you this. If in Paul's day, chariots had had bumper stickers, there'd have been chariots with bumper stickers that said, Scubalon happens. I'll just leave it at that. I'm not going to expand on that. I'm just going to leave that to the rest of your imagination. So Paul kind of cusses here in Philippians chapter 3, and he says... In view of the value of Jesus, everything in my life, and you go, oh yeah, the addictions and the bad stuff. No, Paul says the good stuff, the good stuff. In view of the treasure of Jesus, I count everything else as scubalon so that I can gain Jesus. And I'm going to tell you, when the Holy Spirit opens your eyes and you see the beauty of Jesus, then everything else goes by the boards. And that's because of the next parable. 
He says there was a man who was a merchant who was looking. He was seeking, he says, fine pearls. And seeing one, he sold everything to get that one pearl. Was Jesus just telling the same story over again? I don't think so. It is a story about a price that's paid to gain something. But this is about a seeker. Ray Whetstone is a gem dealer from Longview, Texas. That meant he was often looking for valuable stones. And he went to a show in Phoenix in 1986, and he saw in a Tupperware container, surrounded by a bunch of other rocks, a large potato-sized rock. And he saw something in it, in that dust-covered potato-sized stone, and he turned to the man behind uh, the table, and he said, how much for that rock? And the guy said, I'll sell you the whole Tupperware container. He goes, okay, I'll give you 15 bucks for it. He goes, oh, no, that's too much. I'll take 10. So he gave him the 10 bucks, and he walked walked home with his Tupperware container with his potato-sized rock, which, of course, was the largest star sapphire ever found, which went in 1984 for $2.28 million. Not bad on 10 bucks, but he was looking, and he knew when he saw something. You see, here's here's the thing. We're typically in our sinful hearts, not the seekers. We're not. You say, but the Bible says, no, God says, seek me, but he says, seek me to those who are already his. He says over and over to Israel, if you seek for me, you'll find me when you search for me with all of your heart. He does say that to those who are his people, but to those who are not his people, to those who have not yet seen the beauty and the believability and the glory of who Jesus is, the, the truth is that We're not looking for the Lord. Now, you may be a skeptic this morning. You may count yourself as a seeker. I understand that. But really what you're looking for, really what people are looking for when they say, I'm searching for God, is they're looking for what they get from God, which is legitimate and they should be seeking, which is peace and forgiveness and wholeness and reconciliation and the integration of their life, which they know down deep is deeply fragmented. They know they need that. But the truth is, people aren't looking for God himself. Not God himself. Because God himself is an unsettling person to meet. One of my favorite ex-atheists, the great writer C.S. Lewis, expressed this so well when he talked about the amiable company of agnostic friends who would say they were looking for God. But Lewis notes in his biography, his autobiography, Surprised by Joy, that somebody may as well have said it was the search of the mouse for the cat. And he describes his own conversion like this. He was, of course, a professor at Oxford University at Maudlin College, and I'll just read you a little bit of his experience. You must picture me alone in that room in Maudlin, night after night, feeling, whenever my mind lifted, even for a second from my work, the steady, unrelenting approach of him whom I so earnestly desired not to meet. That which I had greatly feared had at last come upon me, 
In the Trinity term of 1929, I gave in and I admitted that God was God and I knelt and I prayed, perhaps that night, the most dejected and reluctant convert in all England. I did not then see what is now the most shining and obvious thing, the divine humility which will accept a convert even on such terms. The prodigal son at least walked home on his own feet. But who can duly adore the love that opens up the high gates to a prodigal like me who is brought in kicking and struggling and resentful and darting his eyes in every direction for a chance of escape? The hardness of God is kinder than the softness of men and his compulsion is our liberation. Who is the seeker? Jesus said, The Son of Man has come to seek and save the lost. Christ, listen, beloved, listen, beloved. Christ has come seeking you. You are his pearl of great price. God said to Israel, you will be my treasured possession. How valuable are you? It says that when the man found the pearl, he gave up everything to purchase that pearl. Paul, writing in Philippians, says that Christ, this is Philippians chapter 2, Philippians chapter 2, that Christ, even though he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God as something to be held onto, but emptied himself and became a man and took on the form of a servant and being found in the likeness of man, he humbled himself to death, even death on a cross. The terrible instrument of torture in the ancient world that humiliated and desecrated a human being. He subjected himself to the highest price. We sang it earlier. We stood beneath a debt we could never repay. But he paid it all. His mercy is more. He gave it all. He gave up heaven to come here so that you and I could be reconciled to God and our sins be forgiven. That's why Paul says your bodies are not your own. You have been bought with a price, the price of the blood of Christ. He gave his life because he saw you in all eternity and he loved you and he calls you his own. He has sought you. My friends, Lewis experienced the unrelenting pursuit of love that will not give up on a heart. And Christ is coming. He is coming. He is seeking. He is saving. And then he comes in the end because the final parable talks to us about a day of reckoning. He says that there are those who have to be sorted in the end. We know that'll happen. We're uncomfortable with these words, we admit. We, we read passages about where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth, and sometimes Christians talk about this in uncompassionate and unmerciful terms. There was a very famous incident in Northern Ireland where a very fiery brimstone preacher was going after it, and um, he said, if, if, if you're a merry worshiping papist, you'll go to hell. Or they'll be weeping and gnashing of the teeth. The guy in the front row said, well, I haven't got any teeth, he said. 
The guy looked over the pulpit and said, teeth will be provided. <laughs> so there were no tears. There were no tears. It's just anger. There's no anger in this text. It's just reality. It's a reality we may prefer to ignore. But life does come to an end and eternity does beckon. Where will you stand on that day? I was in the Holy Land, been there a few times, and the first trip I made, I was in the back seat of this taxi. The driver was going down this road on the outside of the old wall, and there's a T-junction there. As you go down this road, it comes to a T-junction, and there at the T-junction, there's a road sign, and it says, this way to Zion. And then it says, this way to Gehenna. Gehenna is the old word for hell. So I said to the driver, I said, whatever you do, go that way. Go that way. Friends, Christ is seeking for you. He shed his blood to forgive your sins. And a great day of sorting is coming. You say, but pastor, I have to tell you, I've already got hell on earth. I believe you. There is a hell on earth. And Jesus experienced it on the cross. He experienced every aspect of God's judgment, God's wrath, the experience of abandonment and alienation. He suffered it all. He was publicly humiliated. He was broken. He was bruised. And he did it because love, love pays the price for the object of its desire. Every mother in here would pay any price they could to bring hope and joy to the child. And Christ on the cross mirrors that mother love when he, when he paid all to make you his. And so my friends this morning, I have to ask you a question. On judgment day, where will you stand? Paul said, I don't want to stand in my own righteousness. I want the righteousness that comes from trusting in Jesus. And so this morning, I invite you to do that with me this morning, to put your faith in Jesus Christ, who has paid it all. And then, if you put your faith in Jesus, you will suddenly open your eyes to the wonder of who he is, and you will look at him and say, I found you. And he will say, because I sought you. Let's pray. Lord, I ask that in your searching and in your seeking that you would find us. We are wandering, straying sheep. Seek us, O oh good shepherd, and bring us home. Many of us have not seen the beauty and the wonder of who you are. I know there are people here who have just wandered through the field and their eyes need to be open to the beauty and the glory and the glorious majesty of Jesus, your love and tender mercies towards us. And I pray that you would do that. And now, Lord, I pray that for any here this morning who need to put their faith in Christ, the Savior, that they would do so. So quietly in your own heart, pray with me now if you want to give your heart to Jesus. Maybe you've never done that before and you need to do it. Just pray this with me. Lord Jesus, 
You are the Savior. Thank you for seeking me. Thank you for finding me. Thank you for dying for me. Thank you for forgiving my sins. Thank you for rising from the dead. And I ask you to live in my heart and overwhelm me with the beauty and the treasure of who you are. I ask this in your precious name. Amen. So this morning, my friends, if you have given your life to Jesus, tell that to somebody nearby before you go today. You could tell me or you could tell your neighbors and just pray. And we're here to help you follow Jesus. Friends, from heaven, he came and sought us to be his holy bride. With his own blood, he bought us. And for our life, he died. Amen. Let's stand and bless the Lord who loves us. Amen.